Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Leighton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us. Thanks so much, and enjoy Late Night with Brian Wecht! It's my Don Pardo impression. I recently moved and boy, I decided because I'm an idiot to (laughs) do it all by myself. I figured I would handle it. I don't have that much stuff anymore. I'm on one of those things where I'm trying to get rid of things in my life. Oh, dude. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to move into a smaller apartment and I had all these dreams of like smaller apartment, but better view. (laughs) I thought I could handle it in my apartment. The only things I was moving was a couch, a dresser, a bed. And like some computer stuff and chairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 hold on. At what point did you think I can move this couch by myself? Because that to me, that seems impossible. Well, you see, I bought a dolly, so I assumed I could handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you can do anything with the dolly. <laughs> right? I was like, I've been lifting all these boxes. I've been doing all this stuff. And I saved all of that for last. So I <laughs> scheduled out three days to move. And I was like, I got this. This is going to be so easy. It was not. It was the worst decision I've ever made in my life. I spent a week afterwards like, and while I was doing it, I knew it was bad. As I was loading stuff into my new apartment, I don't want to say old, like very elderly looking Asian man was watching me the entire time. He was like sitting outside, just chilling. And then at one point, he just like walks up to me and he's like, you know, it's okay to hire someone. (laughs) We're getting pretty old. You know, you got to look out for your bones when you get to be our age. And I was just like, how old does he think I am? What must I look like right now that this dude is like sympathizing with me? He's just like, oh, you poor old man. And I was like, what? Oh, my. So I've been thinking about that for a long time. It's like, oh, no, I must have looked a mess. You managed to get in successfully, right? Everything's in. It's all good. It was the worst decision I ever made. I should have just paid any mover, found some college kids somewhere and be like, look, here's a bunch of money. Just lift this. I should have done that. I did not. I'm paying for it. For me, the cutoff was 35. When I turned 35, and at that point I was married. Of course, now I have a kid. Like, I am not moving my own house by myself or leaning on friends to do it ever again. At this point in my life, I am definitely just paying people to help with that from now on. Well, it's also like it takes one bad experience like yours, Jesse, where you're just like, I'm actually going to die doing this, where you're like, okay, fuck it, I'll shell out that expense. Somebody else, please move my shit. Parts of me hurt that have never hurt before. (laughs) I was broken. And I realized I came from like a good place because I too, having done many moves, I'll never ask friends to move. I feel like that's a bad move to just be like, yo, you guys, I'll like buy you pizza and beer. That's a lie. It's never as easy as you think it's going to be. You're always getting your friends into stuff. So I'll never ask them and I don't want them to ask me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I was like, do you want to do some emotionally taxing physical labor for me as a friend, as a favor? Oh, it's the worst. I never see you as a friend if you're like, come on, help me move. I'm like, mm, this is a trap. Then I thought, hey, because of COVID stuff, I don't want to have like a bunch of movers in. And, totally. You know, I got to look out for my parents because last week they got their vaccines. Everything's good. I'm like, all right, we're cool. But I got to deal with them from time to time. I like how I'm like, I got to deal with my parents, but whatever. So anyway, I was just like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to, you know, man up and do this. Terrible choice. Should not have done it. Worst decision ever. <laughs> Moral of the story, never man up. When you're a man of a certain age, born circa 1942, maybe you don't move <laughs> by yourself. Sorry to assume your age, Jesse. I'm slowly pushing towards 40. So here we go. Yeah. Hey, when I moved into my current apartment that I've been in for like Four years now, my dad was kind enough to pack my car full of shit and drive it cross country. And he got to go to a bunch of like fun yard sales and see stuff. So I'm very grateful for that. Wait, you flew out and he packed stuff up and then drove it? I helped pack the car if I recall correctly. But yes, I did fly out because it was the weekend of IndieCade, like 2017. And I was supposed to fly out to like man the Dream Daddy, like visual novel. Mm hmm area. So I needed to do that thing. But it was like, I would go there for a few hours, come back. It was super fucking hot. And like, it's two-ish flights of stairs up to my place. So it's just like frantically getting shit in, going back and doing like business dinners. But I had ordered some bones, just some nice like fox skulls and a little badger skull and all that stuff. But I was like, oh, I'm going to be moving in the next few weeks. So I'll get it shipped to my new place. And so for a couple of days while I was like crashing on a friend's couch before I had a bed in there. It was just no curtains and a pile of bones on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like your dream apartment, Layton. Oh, truly, truly. I don't know why I have anything else in here. It's all useless except for the bones. But I, <laughs> at the time, was deeply embarrassed that my prospective neighbors were walking past my place and just seeing bones. <laughs> we're cool now, though, I guess. I read this really great book many years ago by Daniel Ariely, who's an economist, this book's called Predictably Irrational. He spends a lot of the book talking about pricing and kind of friend relationships versus business relationships. And one of the questions he was asking was, why do we get so mad when we get these, you know, emails from, I don't know, fucking like United Airlines, which are like, we deeply care about your interests. And <clears throat> immediately everybody bristles when they hear that. His theory is that it is mixing a friend relationship with a business relationship and would be like... If you ask a friend to help you move, normally they'll be like, fine. But if you're like, hey, help me move and I'll give you 20 bucks, they'd be like, fuck you. No, I'm not doing that for money. And this has really stayed with me when thinking about, especially, you know, YouTubers and our relationship with our fans and things like that, that this mixing this friend relationship with this business relationship in the context of, of moving. That, that example has really stuck with me because that would be super insulting. What do you mean it isn't like super dope that we just have to blur the lines of friend and creator and worker on the internet and just flatten ourselves into brands to be consumed? I love it. I personally think it's just super great. Makes me feel super good all the time. Makes yeah. me really excited for the future. I've always had issues with that. I think it extends back from my days of like teaching. And so I always feel like and I have for years the whole, I don't know what to call it, this sort of fake reality of I'm a vlogger talking to you, the single audience member at home watching, and we're going to form a bond together. Uh -huh. There's something vastly different between that and like, I don't know, Tom Cruise. Boy, that's the actor I chose. Tom Cruise <laughs> being in a movie and you being like, oh, I just watched Tom Cruise do a thing. Instead, it's like, oh, I'm watching 
streamer X or YouTuber Y and I'm developing a relationship with them. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of time that that's blurred, especially when it's like donate now or whatever. And it's always really been something that I've always been uncomfortable with, but that's kind of the model of the business. And so you have to. You have to in a sense. You know, there's different levels of transparency sure. about it. Like some people really fucking ride that line too hard. And it's like, all right, come on, enough with the, you know, you're my best friend kind of. I'm talking about from the creator point of view. Right, right, right. Like too much of that feels so dishonest and gross. I mean, the other side is that all of us really do, in a general sense, care about the fans and the fan base and that sort of thing. Not just from a business perspective, but it's like, yeah, those are people that like what we do. Like we want to make sure that that relationship continues and that we're generally kind of giving people what they want. I think more or less, right? Yeah, but there's also the you can consume dozens of hours of somebody's content, but that doesn't change the fact that like you do not know them. No. You will never know them on a level further than this and don't equate your projection of this person with knowing the person or right. whatever else. Parasocial relationships, man. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse at conventions, I think, blurs the line a little bit. Where if someone's like, yo, you want to get a drink? I'm like, all right, let's go. All right, come on, dude, random guy. Because I know it's a public setting. I know we'll be in a place with other convention goers. I know I can meet random people. And I'm not worried about any sort of like craziness. But there's definitely lines and barriers I'll put up around myself. That's like, if I am even like the little bit worried about a situation, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go home. In fact, most conventions, to be honest... I'm in bed by 10. Oh, yeah. I'm that guy who's like, it's a job. I'm here to work. I got to be up tomorrow to get in line or get there early to go play a game, which I know is like a dream. But also, it's my job. So I got to get there and be awake and not be that guy who's like, sorry, I'm late to my press conference thing. I was up drinking all night. Like, that's rude as hell. So, <laughs> yeah. Also, just miserable to be hung over at a thing where you have to be oh, on yes. and interact with humans. And then people who are do it every day of a convention, it's exhausting enough already. Like, please, yeah, please, I will have my single drink and then pass out in bed. The hanging out with fans thing, even at conventions, for me, I won't cross that line. It's not that I don't necessarily want to. It's just I feel like it's a troubling precedent to set, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. I mean, I have no judgment against it one way or the other. Can I ask you? Yeah. I don't know if you know this information. I imagine you would. But the core audience that is watching, how old would you say that age group is? For NSP, actually don't really track this, but it's got to be late teens to mid 20s, I think is the peak. Sure. This is why I think I can kind of get away with this. I am an aberration. <laughs> Every time I meet with YouTube people or streamer people, they're like, what the hell are these numbers? My core demographic is like in their 30s. What? Yeah. Really? That's wild. Hmm. 26 to 34 is my number one demo. Mm. That's a big difference. Yeah. And I think that explains why I don't have mods on my Twitch channel, why on YouTube I can do lower key videos and still get away with it, yeah. why I can just be myself and not like a character, or I don't have to like put myself out there in weirder, crazier ways like I'm a vlogger. I can just be me mm -hmm. and chill and everyone responds to it. And admittedly, I'm never going to be the 5 million YouTuber, right? It's just not going to happen based on what my core audience is. But that core audience is just like, sup, dude? I'm like, hey, what's going on? Yo, you want to like meet everyone at the bar? I'm like, all right, sure. You know, I don't feel that, especially having been a teacher, that weird imbalance of like, 
ah, yes, I'm in my 30s and there are a bunch of teens here and this is awkward for me. Yeah. It's me and a bunch of people my age kind of chilling. And I know that's rare and I know that's weird. And so I embrace the hell out of it. I love that. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's a big part of my reluctance is that a lot of the fan base are... I'll define children as being under 18, which, okay, take that as you will. Sure. Our children. And that's just a weird dynamic that I'm not going to get into, you know, in a public setting. You know, I have a child. That's the age group of children I want to hang out with. I don't mean to come across as dismissive. No, I think you have a very healthy perspective here that I think a lot of people in the industry should probably uh, be be conscientious (laughs) of considering. Yeah. I think about this on Twitter a lot because, of course, on Twitter or any other social platform, you can not really tell how old most of the people following you are. That demographic information is not there. And, you know, especially with NSP, that content, it's not like, you know, hard R or anything, but it's raunchy. And occasionally people respond with some pretty hardcore stuff. And I'm like, wait, but is this person 13? And, you know, generally on Twitter, they don't do a lot of engagement with uh, people. But every once in a while, I feel weird about being the 45-year-old who's tweeting cum jokes. But on the other hand, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm trying to think of previous to these social media platforms where we're all just kind of lumped in together regardless of, you know, context or age. Where else have there been watering holes where it's like, well, here's everybody of like pretty much all ages here for different reasons. It's just sort of a jumble. Yeah. And that jumble is very treacherous and confusing. Teens listening, I love you. You're great. Yeah. And there are definitely teens listening to this. Absolutely. I love it that people that young are listening to us and NSP and all that stuff. I think that's awesome. As I've said about myself, I was listening to very R-rated comedy when I was like nine That's what my parents thought was okay, and I fully support that if young people want to do that. You know, that caveat out of the way. I don't want to, like, non-consensually see teens' opinions online. Like, I don't need it. I don't want to know, folks. I'm sorry. It's weird. It's weird. And it's especially weird when you don't know who that is coming from. Yeah. I actually have to kind of not think about it, and maybe this makes me a bad person. But because on social media, there's just no way of telling. You can only do what you're going to do, and then whoever's going to follow you is going to follow you. And there's no real way to filter people out. Yeah. Oh, God. Let's all go together to the beach. We'll have a nice day. And then at the end, we'll just chuck all our phones in the ocean. Does that sound good? Like, <laughs> let's just brothers and sisters hand in hand opting out of a raw deal. I'm ready for that. Yeah. I think that's amazing, Jesse, that your fan base is a bit older and you can kind of socialize more. As you said, very unusual. Yeah, I'm very aware that I have a different experience than the vast majority of people who exist on the internet and do stuff. But it's also why I kind of see myself sometimes outside the box looking in at the different communities, especially when people start streaming or YouTube or whatever at 19, 20, 21, 22, their experience will always be different from what I experienced. Mm -hmm. I came from like, like I consider a real job and having had other real jobs and now I just make weird videos. And to me, I see the huge difference over the course of my life. I've taught, I've worked at McDonald's, I've stocked shelves. I worked at the history department for the Polish history department at my college. I like did all this stuff. And I think that that is a different sort of work ethic and attitude than where we are. 
even though I can definitely say that every one of us works very hard, I think it's like a different world, a different reality. And coming from that first gives you a different perspective on how I think lucky we all are to be here. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was an academic for whatever, 15, 20 years, depending on how you count. And transitioning from that to YouTube, I mean, yeah, I also worked in the stockroom at my dad's store for every summer as a teenager, like that kind of stuff. It is a very different perspective for sure, especially coming from academics. It's kind of like a typical YouTuber in the sense of it's a lot of work with a ridiculous number of demands for very, very, very low pay, which is kind of the YouTube model. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But just pushing through that absolutely gives an interesting perspective compared to someone who got famous or whatever when they were 19 and that's what they know. Yeah. I try to be a little more forgiving when it comes to the way people act on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You see a younger, I'll use air quote celebrity, but influencer, whatever word you want to use, who tweets some things or gets caught up in stuff. Or when someone comes at me and they're young, or I assume they're young, I kind of think I've developed a hard shell. Very rarely will I outburst at someone. And if it happens, it's because I probably had a bad day. But (laughs) usually I try to be very good about it because I have to imagine what me at 13, if I had Twitter, oh my God. Oh God. It'd be over. I would be mega canceled. I was a mess at 13. It's sort of that idea of like, I'll do it if I had a bad day. And like, every time I see shit like that, I'm like, okay, you've got some stuff going on. Potentially unfair to say, but if you're feeling like super fulfilled and great about shit, I don't think you're going to get into spats on Twitter. So much of it just seems like IMAX projection. And I just wish people wouldn't try to externalize their own complicated feelings at other people. Yeah. Honestly, on Twitter specifically, my general rule, which I occasionally, but not that frequently break, is I will not reply to someone else's tweet or I won't engage with the replies to my own. I just don't know how to contextualize those replies or the original tweets to make sure that's going to be a good and validating interaction, even if it's something generally pretty positive. The whole process terrifies me. Jesse, I'm curious, why do you think your demographic like skews older like that? Like how do you think it has something to do with how long you've been making content? Like maybe people grew up along with it or? That has to be part of it, but it's always been on the older side. And it's also always been a higher portion of women as well. That's interesting. Mm. I wish I could tell you why any of that is. Originally, my assumption was, oh, that's the mom's account yeah, <laughs> of some younger child watching. But it is not the case. We've looked into it and for some reason have an older and more female demographic than most people in my space. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm blown away by it. I think it's neat. It's always been something interesting to talk about. But there's a reason why you always saw those studies about cigarette companies going for younger kids. right? Because (laughs) this is the same thing where, you know, my audience, it won't grow as dramatically as someone with a younger audience who's more engaged, who's more looking to watch more online. My audience is like, when I get home from work, I'll probably watch a video this week. And that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse, I want to hear about you teaching. I was just going to say before we move on to the teaching thing that another thing the older fans mean is that I actually, rightly or wrongly, am somewhat concerned with modeling good behavior online, especially if there are younger people watching. Mm -hmm. And I never want to be someone's excuse for being an asshole. 
You know what I mean? Like, well, look, yeah. Ninja Sex Party did it. So once people are old enough, probably well into their 20s is, is good enough. I'll even put 30 is like the cutoff. Listen, I think if you're under 50, you are a child. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you just get bigger child. Yeah, totally. I think a lot about that and how, because I know we have a younger fan base, not kids, kids, but like teenagers. This is something I do think a lot about on Twitter. My number one rule about Twitter and the number one thing I hate about Twitter is dunking culture. I fucking hate <sighs> Twitter dunking. The introduction of the quote retweet oh, is really a sad day for humanity. It's so dumb. It's often something that's completely taken out of context. People just looking for points. They're just playing to the base. Uh, it just upsets me. Or it's like, oh, so you've amplified this shitty take that only four people would have seen anyway. There are a lot of people on Twitter who are way too old to be doing this shit and just constantly, constantly are getting embroiled in all sorts of Twitter beef. And it's like, don't you have a job? Like, don't you pay taxes? There's nothing sadder to me than some, like, 55-year-old comedian dunking on, like, a young Republican or whatever with, like, no followers. This person is not worth your time and you're kind of inciting a mob against them or whatever. Yeah, you're sicking people on them for your own dopamine. Go do your own work and whatever. Maybe people think that's useful and fun. But. I think you're right on the money when it comes to just looking at Twitter differently and sometimes walking away and not interacting as much. So I am a rabid liberal. And so after Trump was elected, I was going through some stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we all were. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a moment on Twitter where I got in a fight with a guy and we were going back and forth and I definitely crossed the line and went at him. This guy was like kind of a conservative guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sent me a video reply and his video reply was like him on his porch. And he was like, dude, I'm a fan. I don't know how we got here. And it was so sincere and so sweet. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that it came to this moment where this dude had to like send me a video to be like, I'm a human yeah. and a good person. And just because we disagree. And I was like, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, time to grow up, Jesse. And ever since then, I've tried to be really, really good about modeling and interacting with people and being way more accepting and trying to just be a good presence on the internet. Yeah. And there's been a lot that's happened since 2017 where I've just been like, all right, how do I put the best version of me forward so that everyone out there can see here's another way we can address X, Y, or Z. Yep. And it's tough. Most of the time, I just don't even go on or respond to Twitter because it's that kind of like, you know what? I got nothing to say about this. And if I did have something to say, I wouldn't want that out there. So I'm just going to walk away. Generally, before I tweet something, I will ask myself, is my voice needed here? And not to say that's always the only criterion. I mean, is my voice ever needed anywhere? Probably not. But in many cases, it's like, I'm not going to add anything to this fucking discussion. I would almost always rather retweet someone who knows more about what I want to say than say it myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this year, I'm a big proponent of my platform here is everybody shut the fuck up. Just know the value <laughs> of shutting the fuck up. I encourage everyone in your daily lives, just shut the fuck up, like a little bit, like sometimes. Like, you don't have to say something about everything. Oh. Sometimes just, just quiet reflection. If looking at Twitter makes you mad, go do something you like. We only have a finite amount of time on this stupid, dumb earth. <laughs> Why are we spending it yelling at teens online? Who fucking cares? Shut up. All right, sorry, that's my screen. Let's get to the teaching thing, because I do want to ask about that. 
So tell us about what did you teach, when, who, you know, what was your teaching experience? Look at us actually asking interview questions on this show. This is unprecedented. I know, it's crazy. This has never happened before. I'll see if I can give you interview answers. So, God, this would be 2006 or seven. It's all starting to blend together now. I was in school in New York and was trying to become a teacher. Basically, the story of my life is me wanting to be in the arts and do artsy things. And my parents being like, get a real job. And so in college, I double majored in theater and history, which is a weird combination. College where? I went to SUNY Buffalo, and then I went to NYU. Gotcha. So you transferred to NYU? Yes. I double majored, and then I got my master's in education. And so that was kind of like, a, all right, let's do this thing. And I'm going to say, in order to shut my parents up, which is pretty much most of my early 20s, <laughs> everything I did was to make it so they wouldn't bug me. And they're well aware of this. I mentioned it to them often when they're like, you're doing so great on this YouTube thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I am. <laughs> and so I went back to Ohio, which is where I'm originally from, and moved to Columbus and taught at a school in Columbus. And it was like one of the white dude goes to the inner city movies, like that kind of thing. It was a little <laughs> dangerous minds. Myself and three other teachers were the only teachers on a floor that was the sub basement. And we were in charge of the kids who were like one bad day from being expelled. Oof. Those were our students. Wow. High school level or what? High school level. Yes. I taught kids that were supposed to be from eighth to 12th grade. And this just goes to show you what the public school system was like. Our whole objective was to make it so they could pass the 10th grade proficiency test. Mm -hmm. So that was like what we had to do. We had to make sure that they passed. So I taught history and well, I taught humanities, which was like them combining history and English. Mm -hmm. And then across the hall was the English teacher. But her job was literally just writing, getting down the basics of grammar, that kind of stuff. Science teacher and math teacher. And that was it. So you had to be like certified and everything for this, right? Oh, yeah. We did the whole process, did everything. I taught high school for one year, too, right after college. But I taught at a private school. So they were like, you? Yeah, fine. You don't know anything. Great. Come here. Teach. Great. Here's chalk. Have fun. Did it work? I don't fucking know. Like, I, I think I did a pretty good job, but there was like literally no training re required, which is the exact opposite of what you had to go through. So what was that process of getting certified like? Is it hard? Is it time consuming, expensive? Like, what is that like? It's shockingly easy. <laughs> I can definitely say I was blown away with how easy it was to be certified to teach especially in that environment. Mm -hmm. Most of the learning I did have was on the job. It was meeting students and discovering like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to come up with new ways to teach. And that's what we would do. The four of us would meet together after school and just plan. It was how do we make it so every single one of our lessons is connected so that when they go from classroom to classroom to classroom to classroom while they're there with us for the day, we hit them from all directions with information that synergizes so that they can pick it up in ways that they hadn't before. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so I would do everything possible. I would use music in class, and it would always be themed to sort of what era we were talking about, mm -hmm. which, of course, at the beginning of the year, because we'd always have to start way back when, they would hate. But by the end, they'd be like, oh, this is pretty good. And I could never tell if it was just because it was more modern music or if it was <laughs> they finally got used to it over the course of a year. <laughs> but I assume it was just because it was more modern. Wait, do you have examples of songs that you would use in particular? 
Oh man, it would be anything that would be associated with like the subject. So obviously if we're talking Vietnam War, there's a whole collection of songs you could, could use for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the 60s in general always is usually when it finally clicked with them. The like, oh yeah, this, no, this is music. But anything before that was like, hello, my dear. <laughs> They're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I would imagine as with any kids in that position, there's like a whole fucking deal going on at home that you have no control over. My very first year was, it's that awful saying that people are like, I learned more from them or they taught me like that kind of thing. It was like that though. I am very very fortunate that when I grew up, I had it pretty easy. I'm willing to admit that. And so going in and talking with my students, it's like a different world. And I had to learn things about all of them. Essentially what I realized is that, and I assume it's universally, but at least for the students that I had, the best way to teach was like, you need to teach each student differently. When you're like in your school year, it is all right. How do I reach this kid or this kid? Or how do I do this thing? And sometimes it would be impossible and it would be for reasons that you had not even suspected. There was a student I had, he would sleep every day in class and I just couldn't figure it out. And after school, I brought him in. I was like, what's going on, dude? Like, how can I help you? What's happening? And he was like, I don't have a place to sleep at night. I sleep outside on a stoop at a friend's house. I barely close my eyes because I'm afraid. School's the only place I feel safe. God damn. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. Once you hear a thing like that, all right, now it's a whole other issue. What do we do now? Yeah. And it was that kind of thing. There was a lot of that. You get upset with the school system on how it's failing students like this. There's all sorts of other things we could have done before this. And no one even tried. Oh, yeah. Maybe like provide health care for people. (laughs) But whatever. I digress. Yeah, it was very frustrating. And also, you know, just because I'm going to say it because it needs to be said, the administration was garbage. I was so upset with them constantly. They told us, handle everything in your own classroom. If these kids get in trouble with us, they're kicked out of school and we lose them. Jeez. So it was on us to be the principals as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's all about the stats and the, yeah. Yeah, we had no real power authority because what are we going to do? Be like, get out of class? No. So we had to walk on those eggshells too. So we realized very early on that we needed to find different approaches to talk to the students. And thankfully... For the vast majority of them, it worked out really, really well. Good. The group of us did very, very well. I'm very proud. There's actually somewhere out there on the internet is a great clip. It's one of my favorite moments. I can die happy knowing this occurred. I think my first year of teaching, one of my students was just trouble, like with a capital T. He was bad. And I would constantly get in fights with him, like real fights where I would take off my glasses and be like, if you're going to hit me, just hit me. Shit. Like that kind of thing. I was like, I don't have time for this. Wow. And one time, for example, he had his head down on his book bag and I was like, come on, dude, you got to keep with me here. And he woke up and he accidentally knocked over his book bag and his book bag like cracked on the ground. And I guess there was a bottle of some alcohol in there and he lost it. Oh. And so he like went up and like threw my computer and stuff. And I was just like, oh, hell no, like that kind of thing. But what is he going to do? I can't send him to the principal's office because then he's gone. Yeah. And he's obviously a deeply troubled guy right with a lot of stuff going on yeah like he was going through some stuff and so that was i don't know the first two months of the school year by the end the transformation he had and the amount of time and effort we put into him as a student was incredible as a former uh 
bad student myself. I know all the like tricks. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's see how you're trying to cheat me. And he was not. He was writing very well. He was clearly a very good student that at a certain point in his life was going through some stuff and it overwhelmed him. So once we got past that, that student came back and he was ready to go. And so years go by. I'm no longer a teacher. I'm in Boston filming a show with our dear friend, Brooke Lawson, now Brooke Thorne Dodger. Uh (laughs) And we're filming a show. And out of nowhere, I hear Mr. Cox. And I turn around and there is this student now in a suit and tie. He has a briefcase and he's walking up to the state house. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's going there to petition the state house on behalf of low income families. And I was like, shut up. I was so proud. Obviously, he did all the work, but to like be there and be a part of that and see that transformation, I was like, oh, I feel like I accomplished something in my life. (laughs) It was incredible. (laughs) And that I think is the reason why people teach. It's the reason why people are passionate about education and passionate about watching young adults grow and change and become these amazing people. And I get it. Mm. However, 2009 hit and when the economy went down the toilet and was terrible. They let all of us go. The four teachers, they fired us. Oh, fuck. Well, yeah. And so I had nothing. I um, was broke as hell. I was in debt because I was a teacher. So I had so much debt. It was gross. I had to sell everything I owned. All I had left was my computer and my car and clothes. And I moved back home to my parents at 29, moved back home and stayed there for a year. And then my dear old friend Total Biscuit was like, I think you can make money on this thing called the internet. And I was like, (laughs) what? And so next thing you know, I'm doing YouTube videos. And then a year later, I'm moving to LA. And that's sort of the history. It was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. That's wild. What was your favorite period of history to teach? I'm a huge fan of ancient Greek, Alexander the Grady stuff. It all seems so fantastical, but it also has this weird element of things you don't think about. One of my favorite little tidbits that I always love teaching people because it really blows their mind when they start thinking about it. There's actually, I guess it's probably not there anymore, but there was before COVID here in LA, an exhibit you could go to that would actually show you this. The fact that ancient Greeks saw ancient Egypt the way we see ancient Greece, Mm -hmm. because ancient Egypt was 2000 years or so before Greece. Yeah, yeah. And so they Mm. saw all that and they were like, oh, all these ancient peoples. Oh, they had these weird gods and like, oh, I kind of like this sculpture. I like this thing. They would even have portraits or sculptures of themselves made to look like they were more ancient Egyptian, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And it's just crazy when you think about time and how 2000 years ago, people were thinking about 2000 years before them. Oh, dude, I went to Cairo, I don't know, it was probably about 10 years ago to lecture for a thing and just walking around the pyramids being like, these are 5,000 years old, five fucking thousand years old. Yeah. And they have a very famous discovery there, the Pharaoh's sunboat. Do you know about this? Yes, yes. I do not. What's the deal? Basically, they unearthed somewhere around one of the great pyramids of Giza, a giant boat that had been disassembled. And it was supposed to carry the Pharaoh into the afterlife and probably Cheops, I would assume, but I don't know. And because they buried the Pharaoh, they buried the boat. And everyone goes to the afterlife together. And what they did is they put this thing back together. And you can go and see this assembled boat, which is huge. I mean, it is like a large boat that exists in its little, you know, house next to the Great Pyramid. And you look at this thing and you're like, 
human beings built this boat 5,000 years ago, and it looks like more or less a boat that you might build today, minus some stylistic things that were just ancient Egyptian. But nothing has really rubbed in the constancy of humanity as much as looking at these ancient, ancient things and being like, yeah, we'd pretty much do that that way today. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I've got a visual of this now. That's dope. Yeah. So I got to walk around that. I've been reading something with history that that has really been blowing my mind recently. I talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. This History of the Ottoman Empire book is called God's Shadow by Alan Mikhail, who's a historian at Yale. It's mostly about Sultan Selim and his ascendancy to the throne and then his legacy. But the thing that really stood out to me, which I'd never understood before, is he talks a lot about Columbus, because pretty much this is all happening at the turn of the end of the 15th century, beginning of the 16th. So it's all around the time of Columbus's expeditions. And he puts Columbus's expeditions very, very convincingly in a context of anti-Muslim exploration and describes how Columbus had been like a Muslim fighter for years and years and years, been in battles with Muslims, and in fact pitched the voyage to the New World as a way of expanding Christendom to fight off the encroaching Ottoman Empire and other parts of the Muslim world. I'd never really appreciated that before. Columbus was basically on a crusade, like a capital C crusade. And this might have been obvious to you two, but I had never thought about it in that way. And it was really interesting and, of course, troubling. Yeah, it's a fun extra level of shittery, as if the man <laughs> did not already have just scads of shittery. Yeah, bad guy, bad guy. <laughs> That dude. I am obsessed with uh, early American culture. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've i been to Chichen Itza. I've climbed Machu Picchu. I love that stuff. Oh, wow. Cool. I am in 100% when it comes to learning about like native culture, especially ancient empires here in the Americas. And the more you learn about it and the more you learn about how creative and bustling and expansive empires were here in the Americas and then how some dudes with sickness came and wiped them out or killed them. <laughs> it mm -hmm. really, it's insane to think about and how the course of history changed because of that sort of greed for more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. The more you see how they built empires and how they built the different things. And especially when you think about Machu Picchu and stuff like that, it's like, well, why would they build it up so high? Well, okay. Yeah. Because it's this highest peak, but it's also like, Man, invaders and stuff. We gotta hide ours. <laughs> we gotta hide riches and things. Yeah. It's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of seeing old statues, Vernon sent me like this pinnacle of Uncanny Valley subreddit that I will drop in the chat now called Colorized Statues. And God bless the people on this sub, but the results are upsetting. Oh God. I hate it. I do hate it. These statues were painted generally, right? Yes. When you go to a museum, and you see a marble statue, at some point, it did not look like that. Yeah. They would purposefully paint stuff on it to make it look grand. And what we would consider gaudy. We would consider it to be like, oof, that's a little much. But that's how they liked it. Yeah. A lot of this is like, they do tag when it's made up colors. But like, if you want to be accurate, there's so much about like the history of pigment and what they were using at the time to create pigment. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of different stuff that is very specific. Oh, I'm scrolling through this. It's just when they add the pupils, it's very 
It's a bad time. Don't love it. It is weird. Yeah, it's unsettling to see a marble statue with pupils. I don't know why that is, but yeah, you're right. It's weird. Pardon me for one moment. I have to go tell my daughter to stop screaming. I'll be right back. <laughs> Leave that one in. I like how at certain point you scroll down, Zeno of Citium, 334 BC, just looks like kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Art's dead. We killed it. <laughs> the subreddit in particular killed it. It's so subjective, really. <laughs> yeah, my subjective opinion that it is that it's bad. I'm back. Hi, Brian. Welcome back. This is nuts, these colorized statues. Wow. Did you guys see the thing that was going around this week with the AI turning photographs into like moving pictures, old photographs? No. no. I do love that shit. All sorts of like AI generation, GA and stuff. Like I fucking love it. I follow so many like generative subreddits. It's just like really, really incredible what yeah. things can do now and also frightens me. All right, here, I'm putting this in the chat too. So this is something called deep nostalgia Ooh. that takes old photographs black and white, whatever, and turns them into small moving images where people are like looking around and blinking and kind of pursing their lips and shit. Here. Hit us. Here's an article about it. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's a horror movie. It is literally a horror movie. Oh, God. But it is kind of, I don't know. It's amazing in a weird way. Yeah. It's like when you watched, I don't know, back in the winter, there was a video of people, I think it was in France, maybe. And it was from 19, I'm going to say 18, 1912, something like that. And it was a snowball fight. Oh, yes. I saw this. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And they just sped it up and they increased the frame rate and they high res the thing. And I was watching it. I was like, that is still us today. They do with the bike, tried to roll by and they pelted him with snowballs. And I was like, I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Look at this one of the guy with it's like the black and white guy with the very parted hair and the mustache. Yeah, that one stands out to me. It's remarkable. I mean, it really does bring it to life. The website for my heritage is down right now, but I went to it the other day. And they have some like old photos, like, you know, probably 1870s. It's crazy. It just brings them to life in a kind of creepy way. This woman at the top is very off-putting, though. Yeah, I hate that my first thought was like, uh, you should plug some like Victorian post-mortem photography in there. It would be interesting, but what a terrible thought. They have like, yeah, Victorian, not post-mortem, but they have Victorian stuff in there for sure. Yeah, I wonder if you plug some daguerreotype shit in there, how that would look. I once saw a full daguerreotype exhibit at the Met in New York, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was like hundreds of daguerreotypes. Hmm. Those things are fucking amazing. The level of detail in those is insane. Mm -hmm. They're like so high res. It's just unbelievable. It's like early 19th century, right? Yeah. Maybe mid. I can't remember exactly when. But I could not believe how high res they look, these things from like 150 years ago. Yeah, 1840s and 1850s is peak. It's so wild. Do you think it's because the way technology changes now, our sense of technology is warped? Someone posted a great tweet today. I can't believe we're still on Twitter, but here we are. <laughs> Someone posted a great tweet today that was like, when you think of Final Fantasy from 20 years ago, you see this. And it was like a pixel Final Fantasy 4 or something. And it's really this. And then it shows Final Fantasy 10. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing. And how, especially gaming culture, definitely has warped what graphics and what we think things should look like. For sure. Compared to 20 years ago, compared to 30 years ago, and how fast it's moved. And I wonder, based on, you know, iPhone 12 now, all these different things. And the other day, someone mentioned a movie that I was like, oh, yeah, that came out in like 2010. They're like, no, dude, that was 
That was 2001. What was the movie? I think it was Lord of the Rings. See, that seems like the opposite of what I remember growing up. So I was born in 75. So my peak, you know, growing up years were the 80s. And the 60s felt like ancient fucking history. Like the Beatles? Are you kidding? Those old farts? Like, come on. (laughs) So that's roughly, what, 20 years before, you know, when I was a kid, roughly speaking. Sure. And now stuff that happened 20 years ago feels like it was yesterday. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, 20 years ago, 1990. (laughs) So the question is, and I would assume this happens to everybody as they get older, you know, the you've lived through the past. So 20 years ago, you're like, oh, I was for me, I was 25 then. Okay, great. But I'm more curious for you, Leighton, what would the analogy be? You're 23. Three, 97. Well, you were born in 97. Mm-hmm. So the equivalent would be basically 80s stuff, right, for you. Mm-hmm. Does that feel like ancient history or does that feel like the recent past? I mean, it definitely doesn't feel like the recent past, but it also doesn't feel like ancient history. Mm-hmm. That's probably an unsatisfying answer. No, no, that's completely fair, right? But I think it goes to these photos we just looked at, right? They move and so like, oh, damn, that's a moving person. And it's weird to you. But like at a certain time, they were moving real people. And so when you look back, you're like, oh, this is weird. This is too strange. But they were moving at one point. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so to think like, oh, before I was alive, like that's ancient history. That doesn't matter. But as you get older, you're like, oh, I've seen some shit. And <laughs> yeah, it's all starting to blend together. And things I thought were new are now old. <laughs> it's crazy. Because then you start to remember the stuff that felt like the far future. I'm talking about the 90s here, people. <laughs> is now the distant past. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck, that's upsetting. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember listening to some Bismarck song where he was like, it's getting ready to be the 90s. And you're like, oh, shit, it's almost the 90s. Oh, my God. And like, <laughs> guys, that happened 30 years ago. Yeah. I remember being in bed in ninth grade, looking at a calendar that went all the way to 2004 and thinking, what will 2004 be like? Mm-hmm. It's an unfortunate time for jeans is what it will be like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. The real touchstone that many, many people have pointed out is the 2015 being the back to the future year, right? That Marty travels to and back to the future too. Yeah. And it's like crazy. For me, it was 2012. And obviously, you know, again, I'm skewed much younger here, but because, you know, the Doomsday 2012 thing, but also 2008, because my mom had a friend who was just a shitter and liked to fuck with anxious child me and was like, yeah, there's a lady that says that the aliens are going to come and kill us all in 2008. And so I spent like every night because I was terrified of aliens despite being obsessed with them. And I was just like, all right, we just got to get through. We just got to get to 2008. And then if it doesn't happen, we got to get to 2012. But I don't know about that. I don't (laughs) think that's going to happen. Fuck. I barely even remember the 2012 stuff. I was 37, I guess. I mean, old enough that that barely even registered. Yeah. But I guess as a kid, that might have been actually scary, right? Oh, fuck it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, as a child with clinical anxiety. Yeah, of course. I feel like if you have anxiety and you've had it from a young age, it's like, oh, what are the stages of things that you were irrationally terrified of before you realize that this is just how your brain works and will attach to things that you're stressed out about? Yeah. Now as an adult, it's just like, oh boy. Irrational is also a loaded term too, right? Of course, yeah. I think it's perfectly rational to be terrified of aliens, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, as a kid growing up, when I grew up, it was nuclear war. That was the scary thing. Very rational. Yeah, not irrational, actually, and still pretty rational to be scared of. 
yeah, that was like the big threat in the 80s and before. And I didn't even fucking live through the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's a whole other deal. <sighs> God, time. Time is a scam. I say it every episode, but I'll say it again. Time is a scam. Speaking of time, I feel like we should introduce ourselves here. Oh, yeah. That thing that you're <laughs> supposed to do on a podcast. Yes. So, everybody, this is Layton. What's up, fuckers? That other voice was Brian. Hey, yo. Mystery guest, whose name we've said multiple times in this past hour. Care to introduce yourself? Hey, fuckers. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm Jesse Cox. Hey. Jesse, where might people know you from? Most people know me from that one episode of Guild Grumps. That's how 99% of the people I meet are like, oh, Guild Grumps. I'm like, hi, everyone. But I have my own stuff, too. I have a YouTube channel, just Jesse Cox. I have a Twitch, Jesse Cox. I have many podcasts that I do. I do a podcast called Chiluminati, which is myself and two friends, and we talk about paranormal stuff. And they are believers, and I am the one skeptic who's like, that's not real. Mm. And then I have another show, Cox and Crendor, which is a podcast we've done for almost 300 episodes now, over like six years. Oh, wow. That many now. Fuck. Yeah. It's crazy. It's wild. If you ever want to listen to a show where two guys literally talk about nothing and not like Seinfeld nothing, just nothing. <laughs> the last episode we talked about waters we liked. That's where we're at. <laughs> Okay, but where did you land on the waters? Actually, that's one of my uh, things for today. So, you know, get ready. We'll talk about it. Oh, piss. Oh, shit. And I was so delighted to run into you in Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, I'm the guy whose dick is on fire in Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yep. Yeah, dude, I was pedal to the metal on that. Just got to get that taken care of. <laughs> Thank you for saving me. You also co-created a show, I believe. Yes, a show starring some nefarious... Troublemakers, a uh, good game that was a YouTube Red show. I think you can still check it out either on YouTube Red or on the Grumps channel. Speaking of some of the Grumps, I am the producer of a game called Monster Prom. Yes. Yeah. So you can hear a bunch of their voices in it. And Monster Prom 2, which just came out recently. And, uh, you know, upcoming secret projects. Wink, wink. Mm. I do a lot. And especially now that COVID is a thing, I've done more to keep my mind from going insane. So, of course. Yeah, that's where I'm at. One of my all-time joys, Jesse, was murdering you. Thank you for that. Getting <laughs> shot by you was a great thing for me. I loved it. The context for what we're talking about is in Jesse's show, Good Game, he was kind enough to hire me to play an assassin <laughs> and very in character. This was actually the first like real filmed thing I'd ever done, kind of like TV show thing that I'd ever done. So it was really, really fun for me. And at the end, I get to come out and straight up murder him. And it ruled. Yeah, it was great. I guess we had a lot of people on set that day who were there for technical support and EMS just in case, I don't know, I did get really shot. I have no idea <laughs> what was going on. Well, I brought my loaded gun in case I needed it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, thankfully, you didn't have to use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they had a whole shirt set up that had squibs, I guess they're called. Yeah, squibs, yeah. I love that my first question was, did you get to have squibs? Because that's just like a <laughs> dream of mine. I did. And those fuckers blew, too. Yes. I remember when the first one went off, I think I did not retain my composure on camera <laughs> because it was big. They literally said to me, you get one take at this, so you yeah. got to make this death convincing. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, it didn't hurt, but you feel like a shock go off. So mm -hmm. I had three shocks 
immediately hit my chest. And so it's like, wow, you fell over really well. That looks so real. And I was like, that's because I think I panicked. <laughs> I just <laughs> fell to the ground like, oh, oh, it was crazy. I kind of want to be stunt guys in movies now where like the good guy just shoots me a bunch because that was yeah. wild. I would do that again. And so the scene where I shoot you was in the old Pacific Stock Exchange, right? Yeah. It's this huge, huge building in downtown LA. Very, very cool. It's like a giant vault, practically. And you had it all set up. I forget, what was that set supposed to be? That was the... It was the grand finale, like the end of the entire show big moment. And this was like the post credit scene. Right. But the set was a gaming tournament thing, right? Yeah. 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 It looked super cool. It was awesome. It was so much fun. And all I had to do, I, I didn't have a line in that episode. I had a line in the previous episode I was in. I walked downstairs, point a gun at you and just go, bam. Yeah. And I get to look at you and be like, oh, I didn't need that. You just kill me. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the crazier things I've ever done. I was super happy that we got to do it. What a fun process to go through to create that and, yeah. uh, you know, have that become a real live thing that people can see. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm definitely on that creation train now where I just kind of make things to make them and see what happens because the experience was so good. Yeah. My entire creative philosophy has been like, do what you want to do and then worry about monetization or whatever as it goes, but put a lot of irons in the fire, just create some cool shit. And then if things take off, they take off. And if they don't move on to the next. Yeah. And you learn from each of those things. Like, I don't know, is there really any greater pleasure in life than just making cool stuff with cool people? No. It's an incredible thing that we're all very blessed to do. When it's done, it feels so good to just look at that weird <laughs> baby you've created and just be like, I helped make that thing reality. It's beautiful. This was nothing before, and now it is a something. And you know what I really like? This hasn't actually happened to me too much, but I'm sure it might in the future, is you make something and people don't like it. And then 10 years later, they like it. And you're like, see, I was right. This was awesome. <laughs> you were all too stupid. You didn't get it. This was awesome. And you didn't understand it at the time. Oh, It was ahead of its time. I was a trailblazer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck, I forget which Simpsons writer it was who was on Doughboys, but they were talking about 22 short films about Springfield. Probably Bill Oakley. Yes, it was Bill Oakley. It's a great episode because they talk about Panera Bread and how it's the most depressing place possible. But he was talking about how with that episode, like everyone just got to pick a character that they liked and kind of run with it. And then at the time, like it was very universally panned. And so yes. he was super surprised when 15 years later, suddenly like steamed hams is a meme. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Is there a good youtube -y example of that? I'm still hoping that could be me. I'm, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> I'm waiting for a resurgence. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, this happens all the time for music and movies and stuff. Maybe it hasn't been around long enough. Maybe not, yeah. It's only been profitable as like an entertainer for 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. I don't know. In the next few years, something might happen. Like there might be a iJustine resurgence. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone's going to dredge up some old channel mm -hmm. and find it. But that's also part of the aesthetic of YouTube, right? Is finding these 20 view gems where you're like, oh my God, look at this thing. So it's kind of baked in already to the way that platform works. Yeah. There is a pretty great subreddit called Deep Into YouTube that people post stuff that just only has a couple of views. And fuck, there's a website that I'm thinking of where it will send you to a random YouTube video with no views. Oh, really? Yeah, hold on, let me... Uh... Oh, Petite Tube, that's what I was thinking of. Petite Tube? Yes. All right. Let's see. 
I opened it up at random. It's a train. Zero views. Yep. It'll show you things with zero views. I guess there are a lot of other websites that do it, but this is the one that I was thinking of. That's pretty great. Oh, I got a text message. Guys, should I respond to Eliza? She says she has a very soft pussy. That sounds like a no-brainer. Of course you should respond. Yeah, I'm going to need a response. Okay. Just say, how soft on the Mohs scale, which measures the hardness of minerals. (laughs) (laughs) I have a video I've been reluctant to put out there that has very, very few views. It is a video of me on Egyptian television. This is the one that you sent me a while back. I sent this to you. I'm going to throw this in the chat right now. It starts out way too loud, so you really have to crank the volume down. Jesus. Ow. I can't fucking watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you tell me not to do something, I am immediately going to do it. I never grew out of that. So the story of this video is when I was lecturing in Cairo, uh, they wanted to bring me on this TV program for whatever reason, the guy that was our contact there was like, we have a guy here from Harvard, let's show him to people. I was doing science storytelling kind of stuff. It's like, you'll just come and you'll do it. And I was like, okay, people will be able to understand me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an English show, great. So I get on set at this, like the main TV building in Cairo. And this dude sits down, we sit down with the host. There's like zero prep. You just walk in, mic, go. And they just start talking in Arabic. And I was like, oh shit. (laughs) I have no idea what's happening. And they went in Arabic for a while. I can't remember exactly how long, but it was probably five to 10 minutes without acknowledging me or translating anything. So I just had to sit there and smile. And everyone was super nice. It was really great. But it went on for a while before I realized that some of the show was in English and not all of it. Yeah, you are truly smiling very politely. Well, I didn't want to cause a fucking international incident. So the other thing is this is right after the revolution. So it was not unstable in a bad way, but it was a bit unstable. And people were on edge is what I'm trying to say. Although the feeling like I remember being there, they had the first presidential debate. I don't even know in how many years it was happening while we were there. And people were just like thrilled that there was stuff happening in politics that seemed to maybe be moving in a positive direction. I don't think it quite went the way that the more liberal people wanted, but so be it. But yeah, this was a very disorienting experience and ended up being a very fun thing. And I've been reluctant to put this clip out because I don't want to like <laughs> bomb this channel because it was like the Egyptian tech show or something. All I'll say is to know how awkward it must have been at 143, if you just press play, the look you just like give and then move your head a little bit. <laughs> yep, there it is. <laughs> and then kind of like move it back. <laughs> I've been there before in some places. I'm like, oh, no, I do not belong. But it's very clear, like, when you fast forward past the sort of awkward introduction is like, then it's a conversation. Yes. But, yeah, you can definitely tell that you were like, ah, what? <laughs> yeah. That's a real, like, white guy blinking gif yes. sort of moment. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's totally what this is. The one question I remember this guy asking me, I feel like I might have talked about this on the show. He was a very nice guy. They had prepped me for absolutely nothing that I was about to be asked. And he said, so what is, in your opinion, the main difference between American science fiction and Egyptian science fiction? Oh, boy. And I was like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I barely read American science fiction, and I have zero knowledge of what (laughs) Egyptian science fiction is. So I, I asked him, this is in the clip somewhere, I'm sure, what is Egyptian science fiction? And he was like, well, we don't really talk about space so much. It's mainly like having enough water which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) This makes me want to read some Egyptian science fiction. 
Yeah, yeah. It sounded like it was a very different kind of tack than American stuff. It's crazy to me that that's science fiction, but to us, that's post-apocalypse. Does that make any sense? Like, right. yeah. <laughs> we see that as like, we need to fight for water. Yeah. And they're like, that's the sci-fi. That's crazy. Let's move on to do some segments. What do you think, Layton? Is now a good time to do some segments? I think now is a great time to do some segments, no less than 10 minutes after we finally introduced this fucking podcast. Yeah, well, that's how we roll. It's true. Okay, so we are now moving into the segment portion of the show. All right, so our first segment, Layton, what's the name of our first segment? It's called What's Poppin'. Well, why do you say it like that? Brian, I'm so tired. Introduce your... (laughs) Okay, well, I know what's going to make you feel a lot better because, Jesse, the whole thing with this first segment, the segment is great. But the thing that's really, really great about this segment is the theme song to it. I don't want to get expectations. They're already high. Very high. Okay, well, I'm not worried about making them too high. I'm worried about making them too low, even after I talk this thing up. Impossible. Mm-mm. Okay, well, it might be the single greatest piece of music you've ever heard. You know, I've written a lot of music in my day. Some of them are theme songs, some of them are not. Some of them are longer pieces, some of them are shorter pieces. Lump them all in together, judge them by the same criteria. This is the best. Again, I'm worried, if anything, about underselling it at this point, because it really is amazing. We haven't had a guest on yet that hasn't been stunned into silence by just what this theme song is, what it represents, how good it is, everything about it. It's quality, A++, 10 out of 10, however you want to say it. It's kind of the best thing you've ever heard. So we're going to play it for you. And what I'm going to ask is for your unvarnished, immediate reaction to it. So are, are you ready? Gotcha. Done. I'm ready. Okay. And here it is. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? All right, we're back. Now, how amazing was that? Thank you. I'm hoping a crowd somewhere will join me. I'm going to slow clap this into existence. You're alone. You're alone. I'm sorry. Slow clapping this into existence. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. That's it. That's the What's Poppin' theme song. One of the best I've ever heard. Well, I know. Again, that's how we work here. Brian, how do you feel right now? I feel great. I hope you're happy. Uh, Happy is an understatement. What caused the change of heart? I don't know what you mean. (laughs) Jesse, you're one of the select few who has responded positively to Brian's deeply stupid bit that we've done for a year where he doesn't play the theme song after talking it up. You know, at the beginning of the year, Brian was like, you know what? It feels too mean. I don't want to do it anymore. Last episode, we didn't do it. And uh, yet again, I am so, so tired, but I'm happy that you're happy with yourself, Brian. Oh, I'm quite (laughs) happy with myself right now. (laughs) Look, what can I say? I planned this for a while and I'm really happy with how it turned out. And Jesse, I just want to thank you for validating everything about my choices so far during this podcast. Yeah, I'm shocked you didn't do it last week. If anything, that's the disappointment here. Again, I I don't know what we're talking about. I always remember doing it. So if Layton says I didn't do it last week, I guess I'm forced to believe her because I trust Layton. Don't gaslight me, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying I remember doing it. I'm not saying you're wrong. You can't gaslight on a podcast. There's written, there's, there's recorded. What? Fuck it. God, Jesse, what is your pop? What, what is popping for you? What is your pop culture recommendation? I'm just saying, play me the evidence, play me the evidence and I'll believe it anyway. Well, 
hi everyone here's some awesome popping stuff for you to do <laughs> while you're stuck inside so i have fallen in love with just digging through the billions of indie games that are on steam and just the internet and so i have two that i think are super fun that require a low barrier of entry Great. and very little actual skill. Fuck yeah. And I think that they'll be super fun for y'all to play and check out. Actually, we'll do three because that's how I'm going to roll. Sure, great. First one is a wonderfully animated and voiced murder mystery point and click mm. called Tangle Tower. It is real silly and very cute and it nails the detective vibe in a very fun way. Plus, the two main characters have that kind of banter, only really good friends who have known each other so long they can give each other crap 90% of the time. Like, that kind of vibe. It's incredibly fun. Very entertaining. I highly recommend checking that out. Once I found it, I fell in love with it. It was great. Also, there's a game called There Is No Game Wrong Dimension. Ooh. Incredibly low barrier of entry. It's a game that doesn't want you to play it. Oh. I love that. That sounds amazing. There Is No Game Wrong Dimension? Yes. I think it's the dev slash voice actor who does the voice. It's very jank and super fun. And he keeps trying to be like, don't click that button. Don't play this thing. And it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where he's like, we're not going to play this game. We're going to play another game. And you end up in like another. It's ridiculous. It's super fun. I don't want to spoil any of that. Yeah, this looks tight. And then just something that I'll throw out there as a suggestion that I think people should check out because it's weird. And if you like getting scared. Scared, Ooh. there is something called take this lollipop.com. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just gonna put it out there. It is a horror game that will utilize your computer's camera. Ooh. Oh, now I'm into this shit. I'm gonna wait on this. And it is browser based. Ooh. I love that. That's very relevant to my interests and the things that I do. I love a good browser game. Yeah. So those are three things that are totally different, but they're all very, you don't have to master platforming or be a great sharpshooter or solve crazy puzzles. It's all pretty easy and standard. And I was like, yeah, that seems like something everyone could enjoy. I know my mom would. So that's how I base most of my recommendations. Would my mom play this? And if the answer is yes, I'm like, all right, that's a good recommendation. Mom proved. I love a good browser game. It's kind of rare to find like a super dope one. And when you do, it's just the best. Yeah. And with the death of Flash. Yeah. So much lost to time. I remember Orisinal, I think was the name of the website. It was just like beautifully animated with gorgeous soundtracks, like just the most zen Flash games rip. Mm -hmm. Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is me very belatedly getting on a thing that everybody was talking about solely because I'm a contrarian shithead. And even though I was excited <laughs> to watch this thing, I was getting pissed watching everybody talk about it. So it's been like Ooh. however long it's been. But I finally watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things because uh -oh. uh, I'm a big Charlie Kaufman head. Still haven't seen it. I read the novella that it was based on a few years ago. And I'm curious how my take would change if I didn't know what the bit was going in. Okay, don't reveal anything because I haven't seen this. I'm not revealing anything. The bit is a little hack. And I was like, there's no way they can make this into a movie. This is not going to work. And they did. My expectations were surpassed. But the thing is, I just saw a lot of negative reviews that were like, oh, fucking another terrible Charlie Kaufman movie. If you don't like Charlie Kaufman, you're going to hate this shit. If you are like, I hate vegan restaurants, and then willingly go to a vegan restaurant and then get mad that it's vegan, I'm sorry, that's on you. I thought it was really delightful, and all the performances were amazing, and it was well shot. 
and super Charlie Kaufman, so far up his own asshole that you're just chilling in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it here. So I recommend. It's good. Jesse Buckley, fucking amazing. I want to see it. Here's the Charlie Kaufman thing. If you can't handle being John Malkovich, check out. That's the lowest bar of entry for Charlie Kaufman. I mean, maybe Eternal Sunshine is the lowest bar of entry for Kaufman. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess that is a little less weird, yeah. I would say this is less Kaufman-y than Synecdoche is. That is er Kaufman. Yeah. Like, there's nothing Kaufman-ier than Synecdoche. Yeah, and I was watching it with Jory, which had a great time watching it with Jory, but he was like, wow, he is really just trying to make Jesse Plemons Philip Seymour Hoffman. (laughs) 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 And it's so real. (laughs) So that's what is popping for me, Brian. What is popping for you? What's popping for me is the opposite of a Charlie Kaufman movie. It's a kid's movie that just came out on Disney+. Plus. So Kate DiCamillo is a really wonderful author. She wrote the Mercy Watson books, The Tale of Despero, which was made into a movie, Mm. Because of Winn-Dixie, which was also made into a movie. Really great kid's author. Wow, that unlocked a memory. She has like a ridiculous CV. It's just written a lot. She has a wonderful book called Flora and Ulysses, about a 10-year-old girl who identifies as a cynic and her super-powered squirrel friend, whose superpower includes writing poetry. It's a very cute, and it's like cute, dark kind of book. Into it. Because Flora is a cynic. Great personality. Just a really fun story with some interesting characters. Everything she writes is a little bit antiquated by design. It feels like it takes place kind of in the 60s or was written in the 60s, which is just her style. But I love it. So they made this into a kid's movie with Allison Hannigan, Ben Schwartz. At some point, Danny Pudi shows up and Rachel and I were like, yes! Who doesn't love Danny Pudi? <laughs> Kate Micucci's in it. Oh, fuck yeah. Just all these really fun people You know, it takes a lot to make a kid's movie bearable. And I had a really great time watching it. Audrey was pointing at the screen cackling throughout the whole thing. I thought it was great. If you don't have kids, you might hate it. But certainly anyone with kids, I highly recommend this movie. I thought it was really fun. And genuinely, like Rachel and I watching stuff, you know, we're both comedians. Our bar for comedy is pretty high. Most of the comedies we see, and especially kids' comedies, I'm looking at you, current Robert Rodriguez, are unbearable. And we were laughing throughout the whole thing. So go watch Flora and Ulysses. A lot of fun people doing good stuff. And it's genuinely funny. Fuck yeah. All right. Let us transition into our final segment, Peaches and Lemons. And we will each start by sharing a lemon, which is a petty grievance. And then we will move into peaches, which are cool, exciting, fun things that we are grateful for. Peaches and Lemons. Someone just fucking pelt me with a lemon right now. I'll do my lemon. It's a fast one. There are three months of acceptable weather in LA, (laughs) January, December, and February. I didn't do those in order. And it's getting hot again, and I fucking hate it. Yep. I hate hot LA, and that's what it is most of the time here. We went to a park yesterday, and it was like 80 degrees, and I was like, come the fuck on. I thought we'd get a few more weeks of cold, but whew. It's getting warm again. Yeah, rip. Look, I recognize from much of the country, they'd be like, please, please let it be warm. I like LA when it's dark and rainy. That's what I like. And I'm bummed that it's getting warm again. Yeah, it just means that I'm going to return to every single record complaining about how the sun is at the spot where it turns me into a little honey-baked ham in my apartment. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for the sweat. (sighs) That's it. That's my lemon. Sick. Jesse. 
Hit us. If we're getting petty, I'm getting super petty. So please. I feel like this is a United States, maybe world thing, but definitely an LA thing. We are all our grocery stores have those little things on the floor. They're like, please wait here. Yep. And they go back into the aisles and people have to wait in the aisles to go up to the registers. The people who are like scoping out ways to sneak in. Oh, you know, they see we're clearly in a line. Everyone's waiting. And then just like zoop, like get in front of everybody. And everyone's like, excuse me. Like, oh, I didn't see the line here. Like you saw the line there. We all know you saw the line there. You just thought we were going to be polite. (laughs) We were like, no, no, no. Get in the back. Drives me crazy. Yeah, that sucks. Come on, dude. Yeah, that's it's terrible. My lemon is a similar come on, dude, situation in the second week in the row that I'm talking about my trash cans. Oh, by the way, I just want to say before you continue, come on, dude, is a great name for a lemon. So maybe we should call this peaches and come on, dudes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad to be a part of that. Jesse Cox. (laughs) Jesse Cox. Come on, dude. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Layton, say what's your come on, dude? My come on, dude, is messy neighborhood. Constantly just trash everywhere. People leave full canisters of used whippets. Sorry, my dog is barking. This is a similar come on, dude. But somebody's been going through all the cans on my street and just like at random taking trash bags and tearing them open and dumping the trash everywhere. What? Yes, it's great. That sucks. Okay. And people go through the trash cans a lot. We have a lot of houseless neighbors in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Completely fine with it. I separate out my bottles and my cans so they don't get a dig. Yep. This is next level. If you're going to take out trash, put it back. But anyway, imagine my horror when I walked downstairs with my dog one day and I looked down and I'm like, hmm, that garbage is familiar. Oh, fuck. And they had ripped open one of my bags. Uh, that was the detritus of me cleaning my balcony. Everybody listening, I hope your lemon becomes my dog barking in the background. (laughs) And I saw a variety of used coffee cups and just a disgusting amount of used weed jars and was like, oh, okay, now my sin is on display for the neighborhood. If you go through a bag of trash, why are you mad that there is trash in it? Why must you put it on the ground instead of in one of the eight fucking trash can all right i'm cool all right that's my lemon (laughs) that just seems vindictive to let it be strewn around like that yeah and i like very awkwardly picked up my own shit there was a lot of it like they dumped the entire bag out and there was like a rip in the middle of it like (sighs) i'm sorry that sucks anyway let's move on to something more positive (laughs) all right folks now it's time for peaches which are nice things and not things that are dumped out of a garbage bag onto the sidewalk i'll do it first peach for me We went to a basically abandoned park yesterday and met up with a couple of friends for a picnic lunch. And it was lovely to be outside. It was too warm, as I've said, but whatever. But it was nice to just be outside and see some wonderful friends we haven't seen in like a year. Mask, distance, all that good stuff. It was awesome. People are great. I've known the husband and the couple for almost 20 years. They're just some of my closest friends and I loved seeing them. So that felt good. Audrey also, we got her a... uh, bat and baseball, not like a real baseball, but like a ball because we have a small backyard. She can't really bash the shit out of it at home. And she got to fucking pound this thing in the middle of this large park. Oh, it's nothing better than a six-year-old with a bat. (laughs) She felt very powerful. She's also really good at it. And I guess we practice enough and she's got a good eye because she was like pounding this thing. My second peach is a peach slash plug, a peach plug. We were able to put out more merch for late night. 
and we have these lovely beanies with the peaches and lemon on it. Then we have the shirts, and we were able to get the merch site. That's not the stuff we just had locally, which was the first batch. The rest of it up and running, and people can pre-order those now. And a lot of people did, which is really, really nice. So thank you all for supporting us and uh, and getting that stuff. Yes, thank you. My third peach is, I feel like I might have talked about this before, but I don't fucking care because it's so great. Every night now with my family, we're watching The Muppet Show. Hell yeah. Oh, fuck. It's so good. There's so many weird celebrities on it from the 70s that you're just like, who is that person and why are they on the show? We watched the Dizzy Gillespie one yesterday. And that guy is just unreal. Have you ever watched Dizzy Gillespie play the trumpet? Either of you? like seen it up close just on tv but like you know the cheeks and everything it's incredible oh that's what i mean his face in a neck inflate yeah <laughs> i don't understand how a human being is shaped like that and he's an incredible musician too watching him was great but watching that you know the up close shots of him playing which i've seen before but it was wonderful also audrey because of the liza minnelli episode audrey is now obsessed with the song copacabana <laughs> Of course. Wow. Walks around singing it, although she keeps saying Coba Banana, which is extremely cute. But there's a lot of questions about like, what does it mean for music and passion to always be in fashion and things like that? Like, if you remember the song, like one dude shoots another dude and he dies. <laughs> and then Lola, quote, drinks herself blind every night. There's some topics there we're not really getting into with our six-year-old, but. Are you familiar with like the Star Wars Cantina, Copacabana, Richard Cheese? No. Oh my God. I'm trying to remember if it's completely family appropriate, but like fucking she would love it. I'll drop a link. Okay. When I was a young child who loved Copacabana <laughs> and <laughs> Star Wars, it was great. Those are my peaches. Beautiful. Jesse? Okay. Well, pre-peach. We'll pre-peach this. The hats are amazing. The beanies are great. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks, man. I saw them online and was like, oh my God, they're very good. So I understand why people are snatching them up because they are well-designed. Well, you know who designed them. I don't. That was me. I did that. Her name is Layton. What? She's right there. She did it all. Hello. Oh, well, all right. It explains why they look so good. So all right. Hell yeah. Hot damn. But Peach One, I'm going to give to something I've been thinking about that I realized this morning that I love. Funky bass lines and songs. Yo. Uh, yes, please. The funkier a bass line in a song, the better that song is to me. Sometimes I just need that in my life. You have all these other songs that exist in the universe. And they're all great. But some mornings, you got to start with like, doom, 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 and you're just like, oh, yeah, let's do this day. That's how I felt today. That's how I feel often, especially in the COVID world. And mm -hmm. so funky bass lines and songs, I can't get enough. Can you give us a couple of examples of your favorites? Oh, my God. Here's the problem. I would give it to you, except I left my phone in my car, but I, on Spotify, have a playlist that literally is called Funky Baselines. Oh, shit. And it's all the songs I found over the years that just, I press play and let that thing go. Great. The one that I tweeted out today that I thought was very appropriate for the world was a band called uh, Almost Monday, and the song's Broken People. Mm. I don't know it. And uh, I tweeted that out eight hours ago. And it's like, you know, just a funky little beat in the background. It's great. So had a good time with all that. And so that's definitely one funky bass lines. By the way, along those lines, the newest Bootsy Collins album is pretty fucking great. The Power of the One 
So mm. if you like funky bass lines, you know, Bootsy's your guy. Yes. So go listen to that new Bootsy album. It's probably maybe six months to a year old at this point. I really, really liked it. I don't even need lyrics in my funky bass line songs. Just yeah. give me some funk and I'll be all right. Lyrics are for people who don't like music. And I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> lyrics are for cowards, <laughs> which is why every Ninja Sex Party song is completely instrumental. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Another peach is good sparkling water. I have been on this kick that's like, look, I'm never going to drink soda again. I'm over it. Yep. And I'm trying to be like a healthier dude. And so since the beginning-ish of December, I'm going to find the sparkling water that I love. Because I think a lot of people think of sparkling water and they're like, this is gross. And here's the thing. A lot of them suck. They're bad. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I've been like digging through, trying to find ones. I am trying different ones. And when I think I found one I love, I'm like, all right, well, I'll put it on the list of things I like, but I'm going to keep moving on. And so just been buying different varieties and the weirder, the better. I just drank one three hours ago called Liquid Death. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. It's a sparkling water called Liquid Death. It's in a can. It looks like an energy drink. It has a giant skull on it. It's called Liquid Death, but it's just sparkling water. And it's from Austria. Wow. That's a sexy little can, too. Love this graphic design. Yeah, definitely just looks like an energy drink. Murder your thirst. (laughs) Is that what it says? Murder your thirst. Yeah. For me, the sparkling water lives and dies by how artificial the flavor is. Yes. And there's so many modern sparkling waters where the flavor just tastes like pure chemical. I hate it so much. I am not drinking flavors. Oh. I made a choice maybe the first two weeks that was like, flavored sparkling water sucks. Mm. I have found one, but I think it's one of those price point things that I think most people are like, nah. There's a Voss sparkling water that's raspberry and rose. Oh, is that good? Interesting. It's in that cool bottle, so you feel fancy. Yeah, it has a little, oh, I'm drinking my raspberry rose. But it's also way too expensive for just sparkling water. But it's delicious. But it's not something I would get regularly. I'll be honest, the blue case of LaCroix, I think it's called like LaCroix Pure. Yeah. That is one of the best out there. Solid. It is simple. It doesn't have a weird aftertaste. It doesn't Mm -hmm. taste like anything except water that kind of tickles your tongue. I'm in. I love it. Are you a Topo Chico guy? Yes. Huge Topo Chico guy. Topo Chico is good shit. Until about a week ago. I still drink it, but now I'm worried. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking with a friend and he was like, dude, I read an article and it said that uh, Topo Chico is one of the worst ones for you. I'm like, what do you mean one of the worst ones for you? How? And he's like, let me study that article. So I finally got the article. And it's essentially the machines that are used in the process to, you know, make the water sparkling. They put in one puppy per bottle. I mean, basically it comes down to. And it doesn't survive. The machines could possibly be giving you cancer. Mm. And the machines that make Topo Chico are like the biggest culprits. So I was like, wait, what? So I can't even enjoy water now? That seems suspect to me. (laughs) I don't know about that. And it listed all these sparkling waters. And it was like, these are the worst offenders and you'd be better off just getting water. And I was like, everything's ruined for me. Everything. (laughs) And then I had another friend comment that the machines that they were talking about are also the same machines that are used to make soda. Because they're like carbonation machines. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing better because now I'm not killing myself with the soda, just the sparkling water. So it's a better than before. So I'm actually better than where I was. So I'm feeling pretty okay. And I've learned to move on. 
But yeah, Topo Chico's great. Except for the cancer. Yeah, except for the cancer. You know, it's one of those things like, I don't know how much of that is real, real. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I will say most of the ones, they have that sort of like targeted to someone who wants a sweet drink. Those are trash. Ugh. Those are trash. Do not drink those. They're awful. Yeah, those are for children. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of the thing I'm on. So I'm going to give a uh, peach to sparkling water. Good sparkling water. Cool. And the last one is, it's a weird thing to say because I was one of those people who was like, nah, not for me. But during COVID, a friend convinced me to try Final Fantasy XIV, right? Mm -hmm. Tried it. I got to say, it got me through the last half of last year. Really? Most MMORPGs are that. It's like an online thing where you grind for gear and stuff. This is the thing where it's like RPG MMO. So the story comes first. And I will simply say the writing team behind the most recent expansion for this game are brilliant. And I've never cried during a video game, let alone cried during an MMO. But the Oof. end was beautiful. I don't know how to describe it. Somehow a MMO that is about finding your place and dealing with death and remembrance of those who came before yet you know, working towards the, it's like a lot to take in. <laughs> and so I was in a state of mind. I don't know what it was, but it got me, it got me. And now I can't not promote it. If you have the time to invest in, you know, an online game of that nature, it's worth checking out. It is fantastic. Huh. I did not expect it to be. I was not looking for it to be. I only played it because a friend was like, hey, check it out. It's free to level 60. And I was like, well, I got nothing going on. I guess I'll give it a shot. And here I am eight months later, like, oh, my God, you everyone has to play this game. It's incredible. <laughs> it got me. They got me. The community got me. Everyone got me. I'm totally in. I'm invested. That's awesome. Love it. I love it. I've never played a Final Fantasy game. Nor I. The good news is none of them are connected. They don't even matter. Some of them are good. Some of them suck. It's just been, God, like a 35-year franchise. Christ. It can be whatever. But sometimes they tell really good stories, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Sometimes they are anime as hell. And other times, <laughs> one of my favorites is Final Fantasy VI. It is a game that is, I don't know, 25 years old now, something like that. Maybe older. It is a game that is about grief and dealing with the fact that like if you lose everything, like what comes next, like that kind of game where if you are a young teen, that shit hits hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time you really have anyone dealing with that in your life, unless you've gone through some struggles of your own. But when you're like 13, most people, I think, haven't. And so to experience that in a form of media that is coming to you as like a game, I think is interesting. And I love the fact that some devs don't shy away from that kind of thing when talking with their players. I love when people can get real. That's awesome. Fuck yeah. Layden. I feel like my peaches both relate to one each of your peaches. So Brian, my first peach is also that merch went up so people that didn't get in in the first, you know, 10 minutes or whatever can get beanies or whatever. Yeah, we had so few. They went right out the door. Yeah, so I'm just glad people can grab it and y'all can grab them if you want one at merch.laytonight.com. And we have more stuff coming down the pipeline that we're excited about that I have just been slow on designing. So I am sorry. And then my second peach relating to funky bass lines is that I recently picked up a bass and I've been learning how to play bass. So I've been very deep in the funky bass line world. Yo! Yes. And last week, our extremely talented 
bassist friend, Commander Miouch, gave me a very sweet little lesson. Oh, you did that. That's great. Yeah, he is an excellent teacher, and it was a real game changer for me. So I've just been, you know, jamming for like an hour and a half every day. Wow. And it's a challenge, but it's super fun. And I just realized that like literally all the music I like, it all has strong bass lines. Mm -hmm. Like I've had a new appreciation for it. And also that shit's fucking hard. Yeah. But yeah, I've just been having fun messing with my pedals too, because I got one that's like a uh, Carcosa fuzz. Oh, nice. And yes, that is the Carcosa from the Yellow King. So at the moment I saw it, I was like, well, fuck, I have to buy that. But it's really beautiful fuzz on that one. Sounds great. So that's my second peach. My third peach is what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is that I finally got my PCB for my Curia split keyboard. And I spent the afternoon yesterday just soldering the entire thing from scratch. So it was, you know, you got your diodes, your resistors, like 20 RGB LEDs, all the switches, rotary encoders, OLEDs, blah, blah, blah. And today I've been trying to flash this bastard And now I get to do the really fun task after this of going through and checking every single fucking connection on this board because it won't work. But it's beautiful. I love it. We got some kale box whites on here. So Mm. that's what it sounds like. Very clicky. Yeah. So hopefully this works and then I can get into programming the damn thing. Anyway, so very stoked about that. And those are all three of my peaches. And that wraps up peaches and lemons. I love it. And that wraps up the episode. So Jesse, dude, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a treat. Oh, thank you both for having me. This was great. No, you said it before, but I'm going to ask again out of pure professionalism, because that's what we fucking do here. Where can people find you? Layton, how do you let them get away with this stuff? Do you need help? Do you need me to call someone? Don't, okay. Don't ask her if she needs help. Don't <laughs> ask, please, don't ask her. My camera isn't on, but I'm blinking SOS in Morse code. Gotcha, gotcha. She doesn't need help. She's just kidding. <laughs> We have fun. (laughs) We have fun here. Hey, once more for all the kids who just tuned in for some reason on a podcast, they were like, I'm going to 149. (laughs) (laughs) You can find me all over the internet at Jesse Cox. Everything I do, be it YouTube or Twitch or whatever, it all has the same branding except for Instagram because there's a male model who probably deserves it better than me. Uh, especially on there. He has Jesse Cox. So I am notorious COX there, but everywhere else is just Jesse Cox. So you can find me and I'm caught up in all sorts of stuff. I've done all sorts of things that you can find me in from games to shows to whatever. And I've been doing it for over a decade and fingers crossed. I'll still be here in another 10. Hell yeah. So that's where I'm at. Beautiful. Well, folks, we've arrived at the end of this illustrious episode of late night with Brian Wecht. As always be well. And, um, uh, fuck. I dug this hole for myself. You did this. <laughs> I have nothing to do with this. You did it. You said it for yourself. You can back out at any time. This is my cummy albatross. Well, I was going to say, if I ever decide that I'm not going to do the what's popping bit, which I don't think I ever would or, or ever will. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I ever do decide that, it'll be my choice because that was my bit. I never would change that. But if I ever do... It's my decision. Just like that, this is your decision, Leighton. You can change this at any time. And I- Brian, Brian, yes. what? Brian, what? What? Respectfully, what? Fuck off. Everybody else, stay safe. <laughs> come hard. Uh, this is the end of the episode. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> stay safe. Come hard. <laughs> Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>